Amen. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse number 14 once again. There's just, when I go through a passage like this, there are so many things that, that speak to my heart. And so I can go, I can read a verse or a phrase, and within that phrase, I've got three or four things. I said, man, I like to preach all these four things in relation to that phrase. And even though it's not in the text, I like to branch off quite a bit. And you notice that in my preaching, I do that. And today I'm going to do that a little bit in relation to another topic. The passage isn't talking about this topic, but it's, refer, it's, it's inferring it by what it's saying. So verse number 14, it says this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. And that's what we talked about last week, how that the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, uh, folks, you need them both. You can't have one. I remember I talked to this one fellow, he said, he says, really, we've got the Holy Spirit, we don't even need the Bible. I just kind of, is he saved? (laughs) You know, I just said, no, uh, right away, I had no problem answering that. I said, yes, we need the Bible. You know, uh, back back home in Manitoba, we'd have this men's retreat, and it's the Winnipeg River uh, system that we go fishing in. And that river system goes all the way through from southern Manitoba and runs all the way through into Ontario. So it's just hundreds of miles long. And so there's a certain part where you enter in to this Winnipeg River system. And within that entrance are a set of rapids. And they can be very dangerous. In fact, if you go there, you look and say, wow, you can actually drive through that with your boat? Well, make sure you have enough power in your motor to do that. If not, you're staying on this side of the rapids. (laughs) But many of the guys, because they had enough power in their boats, would go through the rapids. Now, the thing is this, where there's rapids, what's underneath those rapids? Rocks. Uh, So rocks are there, so you could easily crash. Uh, You could easily sink your boat and then be sucked into this vortex of water that you just can't swim out of. And we've had one situation, I remember we were on this boat and we're coming back, and it was, a, it was a, a boat that was well able to do this. But what happened is, as they were going across, his, for some reason, his hand hooked his kill switch. And he pulled the, the cord out, and it killed the engine. So in the middle of the rapids, we're sitting here in this swale, and we couldn't get out. It kept going like this. And the water was rushing into the back, and he was just, what? He didn't know what it was like. What a time for everything to break down. But then he realized, no, as he was going in, because he was a little more jerkier and a little more concerned, he actually pulled the kill switch. So he put that back in, he started it up, and then phew, we, we just shot out of there, you know. But that was hair-raising. That happened a couple of times. Uh, one other time we went through there, and we ran out of gas. It was sputtering through, and then we just managed to get over the, the lip of the rapids. And so I say, man, we got to make sure we, we do this right. <laughs> Anyways, there's rocks underneath this water. And so to get through, there is a safe passage. There's one way that you can get through the rapids. And they're wise because they figured out how to do this. See, on the shoreline, which is just across the river, as you're going into the river system, river's running this way, you're coming into the system. The shore on the other side, they put one marker. But then they put another marker. So there's two markers. Now, the reason why there's two markers, if you line up to one marker, 
you could basically go in from any direction and hit a rock. But they put two markers there that would line up with the passage that lines perfectly through those rapids. So all you'd have to do is get on the other side and start back a little ways and aim at those markers, line them both up, and it would always take you through the rapids safely. We did it hundreds of times, unless you run out of gas or kill your engine. Amen? So a lot of people say, oh, we got the Holy Spirit. We don't need the Word of God. Some people say, oh, we got the Bible. We don't need the Holy Spirit. All I know is this. You need both markers. You know what? We're living in a day and age where everybody's making all this about the Holy Spirit. But folks, it's only one marker. See, the devil knows how to counterfeit spirit in your life. Because he's a spiritual being, so he understands it. But the Word of God keeps you grounded in the behavior and what the Holy Spirit is actually going to do, how he's going to do it, what qualifies his work in your life. All these things are qualified by the Word of God. He's not going to cause you to tempt the Lord. One guy, one time, he was in a charismatic church, and he said the Holy Spirit told him to run his head against the wall. So he took a running start, and he says, you're not going to be hurt. And he ran towards it, and he actually cracked, I think, a vertebrae when he did that. God had to go to the hospital. And then when somebody asked him, why did you do that? Well, the Spirit told me, but it was the wrong spirit. You see, there's scriptures in the Bible that tell us that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Because, you know, that's what the devil tried to get Jesus to do, jump off his ledge and, you know, he'll protect you. You see, if he would have lined up both markers, it was not the right spirit. And so we need both. Now, I think I'm going to probably end up staying right here for now in this passage. I'm not going to go any further. So if anything be otherwise minded... God shall reveal even this unto you. So he uses the Holy Spirit. You feel that conviction. Sometimes he just nudges you and says, you shouldn't have said that. Or, hey, why don't you go do that right now? Why don't you go help that person? There's been times the Lord has just told me, I remember one time we were at the grocery store there, we were in Walmart, and there was a lady trying to get this box, and me and my wife were in the vehicle, and and she was pregnant, and she had this box, and I, I think the Lord wants me to go to her, and help me, I'm supposed to help her put the box in her car. <laughs> now, she'll probably get it done. <laughs> and sooner or later, she'll waddle her way in there, and, you know. But I thought, the Lord wants me to do this. And so I got out of the car, and I went, I says, could I help you put your box in the car? Oh, she says, oh, that'd be so nice. She was just battling with this thing. So we finally figured, you know, we had to put it in the back seat. So I said, why don't you back out a little bit, and we'll open the door, we'll stick it in there, and then you'll be off. And we ended up talking for about 10 minutes. I was able to give her a gospel tract and talk about the Lord, talked about her family. I don't know why. <laughs> maybe one day that's going to come clear to me, but all I know is the Lord just put it on my heart to do that. And maybe he just wanted me to be kind. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's the Lord's business. <laughs> Amen. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you to do that. But those kind of things are proper because they're, they're sanctioned by Scripture. Be kind one to another. Help people. Amen. Even talks about helping the poor. You're supposed to help the poor. You know, I, I many times like I'm not much of a. I don't like giving cash to poor people. You know, but what I'll do is if I you go through Tim Hortons many times, you'll see that guy standing there. You know, my concern is I don't want to buy cigarettes or booze or anything like that, so I don't give them any cash. But I'll ask him every time, "Do you need some food?" I'll go. I'll meet you up front. I'll buy you some food. 
And you would sometimes say, no, because they just got a whole bunch of food. They got it sitting back there. <laughs> One time I saw him walk away with a big bunch of food, and then he put it away and he came back. <laughs> you know, he's wanting some money. One time I had one of them said, yeah. And I said, well, I'll meet you up front. And he came in and I bought him some food, gave it to him, and he went on his way, able to give him a gospel tract, you know. The, the Holy Spirit of God will tell you to do things. And sometimes it's very fruitful. God just really is doing something there that is beyond you. You didn't line it up. It was a divine appointment of God. Amen. So we got to be sensitive to that. But then also there's a word of God. And the word of God tells me that I'm in error sometimes. It tells me that I'm not thinking right. This morning we had a lesson on Esau. Hopefully you took that passage and you allowed the Lord to reveal to you something that is otherwise minded. Amen? Because that's what it's supposed to do. That's why we, we, we spend time in the Word of God. There's another way that God reveals things to us. But this is not the favorite way. <laughs> Amen? This is not the way that we would like to be taught, but God says this is necessary. And sometimes it's not exactly the, what you think, uh, and that is through chastisement. God reveals things to you through chastisement. All I know is that everybody in this room, if you're born again, you've been chastised by God. And what I know is if you are born again here today, you are going to be chastised by God again. <laughs> and he's going to keep doing it, you know, and it's not always because you're bad. It's not always because you're evil, doing evil things or sinful things. Do you understand? Because we are, we are in the negative here. You understand that? We didn't start being like Christ, and then we kind of fell away a little bit, and now he's chastising us back. We started completely opposite to Christ, in the negative. So not only at the zero, but we're like at minus 100. Amen. If Jesus is 100, we're at minus 100. And so chastisement isn't only about correcting you when you're just wrong about stuff or, or, or blatantly sin, sinning willfully. It's about correcting you because of where you are. You see, so chastisement is necessary. He will constantly chastise you and correct you, just like me with my kids. You know, I see them do something. They never learned it before. I say, hey, kids, you can't do that. That's, that's chastising. I'm correcting them, right? Because they're starting in the negative. So I have to teach them. I have to tell them things. And I have to influence that sometimes with, with some added uh, reminders. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> because they need to learn these things. So what you try to do is bring them to a place where they're going to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what God does with us. Hebrews chapter 12. We were in Hebrews this morning looking at Esau. We're going to go a little bit further to the beginning of the chapter now. And I'm just going to spend the rest of our time talking about this chastisement, if that's okay with you. It says, and if it's not okay, you'll still have to listen unless you leave. Amen. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 5, it says this. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. So he's saying in the Old Testament, there is exhortation that God gave as like he's talking to his kids. Have you forgotten what God said to us as he was talking to us like kids? It says, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Okay, 
So despise means don't think little of it or don't make it of little value when God chastises you. Because if he's getting involved in your situation, he has got a serious situation on his mind. His purpose is very determined. He knows exactly what he wants to do. It's not a game. He has a place in your life and he wants to bring you to a place that he is predetermined for you. And so don't think little of it. And then also don't faint. Because many times, whenever we're corrected or whatever, we always just give up. We just throw up. Well, well, I'm just no good. Well, yeah, that's why you're being corrected. Because <laughs> you're no good. Because we are no good, we're in the negative, we need to be corrected so that the Lord can prepare us for what he has for our lives. Amen? That's what chastisement is. It goes on to say here, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? It goes on to say, but if ye be without chastisement, that means if you're not being chastened, Whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. So what that means is, if you're not being chastened, you're not truly saved. See, God doesn't chasten the devil's kids. He chastens his kids. I don't chasten your kids. You don't chasten my kids. I chasten my kids. Amen? Because they're mine. And so when you see a parent chastising a child, the first thing that entered in your mind is, oh, they are his kids. And that's what he's trying to tell you here. He's saying, if you are my son or you're my daughter, I am going to chastise you. And if you're not being chastised and you feel you're going through life and nothing ever corrects you, nothing ever stops you, nothing ever puts you in your tracks and say, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> And I think that we as Christians, we know when something is happening, whether it's the Lord doing it or not. Because he wants us to know that. Same with my kids. When I chastise them, they know who's doing it. <laughs> There's no question whatsoever. And so it says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Amen? So he's saying, son, I'm doing this for your profit. This is for your good. Now, I think that we as parents, we want that too. I think that when we chastise our kids, we desire when we do it for them to become better because of it. But what he's saying here is because of our sinful nature, many times when we're disciplining our kids, we're doing it to please ourselves, not for their profit. Amen? Which means that you're just working out your anger. You're frustrating, you're taking it out on your kids. Now, that's not a good way to discipline. In fact, that'll fail you. The Bible says the rod of your anger will fail you. So your rod, whatever you use for discipline, if it's done in anger, is going to actually accomplish nothing. It's not going to profit a thing. But all you're really doing is being pleased personally. You're getting out your frustrations. You're getting out your anger. But God says, when I do this, it is always for your profit. 
It's always for you to be better. Every time I'm involved, when I'm done with you, you're going to be better than when I started. That's what God's saying here. So when he says, if you be otherwise minded, and if you be any otherwise minded, he says, God will reveal this unto you. He does that. The best way is personal Bible reading. Wonderful. You read the word of God and you're being taught, you're being corrected, you change your life based upon what you see, what you see in the word of God. Another one is through the preaching of the word of God. You say, well, I don't need preaching. I read my Bible. Well, you're a fool because you don't understand what preaching is. Preaching is something that your Bible reading can't do. Amen. Amen. Preaching is something, it's a totally different method, methodology here. It's something that God gets into and uses the preacher to go directly to your heart even when you don't want it there. Amen? <laughs> Many times when you're reading your Bible, oh, I'm just going to skim that. In preaching, you can't do that. I mean, you can turn off your ears. <laughs> but you're put in a position where you have to listen. Now, many people don't like that. <laughs> they don't like that being in that position because they want me to teach something that's going to make them feel good. And sometimes I do. But that's maybe 10% out of the 100% of preaching that I do. Because if we're starting on minus 100, we've got a long way to go. Amen? So a lot of what I'm going to preach is going to be dealing with the issues of your heart. As a pastor, the Lord gives me the... Um, responsibility for the flock so what i see is very clear many times what's happening in the congregation this isn't something i just go and tell everybody this is something the lord is speaking to my heart about as i look at what god has given me to do so i'll preach and i'll deal with big issues i will deal with certain spirits that i say coming in to the house of god and i can see it many times i can see it when there's a spirit of of critical, a critical spirit coming in. I can sense it sometimes. And so I'll preach that and you'll get mad at me because you think I'm aiming at you. <laughs> well, maybe it is you. <laughs> I don't know. That's something I don't know sometimes. God does. But he'll put on my heart to deal with all kinds of issues like that. So don't get offended if, if I'm hitting close to home with you because if I'm not, then I'm not worth spit. If I'm not hitting close to home with you, then you might as well get a different pastor because I'm really not profiting you anything because if you are otherwise minded, you need someone behind the pulpit that's going to preach something that's going to change your mind. And like I said, there's teaching and preaching. Teaching is about aiming at the mind, helping you to sort out the doctrines. Preaching is aiming at your heart. And every message I have has a little of both in there. I try to sort your mind out, and then I try to get your heart as well. And it's not even purposeful. I mean, sometimes I'm amazed afterwards to say, Lord, that was a great message. <laughs> you know, I didn't do that. The Lord, you know what, I preach messages that came together as I was preaching them. That's just amazing to me. I have a completely different mind going into it. And as I'm preaching, the Lord just, poof. I'm saying, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> See, that's why personal Bible reading is good, and you ought to have it. But I'll tell you, it's no substitute for preaching. If that's the way you're thinking, you're wrong. You're wrong. In fact, lost people say, they, 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 uh, they, they say that the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But it's not to us. 
It's salvation to those that believe. Amen? That's why we want it. That's why you come to church. That's why you listen. Because you know it's going to help. You know it's going to save me from something if I just get something from God today. Amen? But chastisement. Wow. It's not joyous. And that's what he says here. He says, now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. And it's like you talk to your kids while you're giving them some discipline. Do you have joy in your heart, son? You should have joy in your heart. No, God knows, and he, he tells us that. It's not going to be like you can answer yes to that in that moment. Just like when Jesus had the cross upon his back, dragging it down Golgotha. <laughs> Are you joyous, Jesus? What's wrong with you? Are you not happy? Don't you trust God? <laughs> there are things you go through that sometimes are not joyous and sometimes you're very heavy hearted I've had it many many times where it doesn't feel joyous at all but you know the joy is not an emotion the joy is actually an underlying knowledge of knowing this is it <laughs> you, you sit down I know me and my wife talk a lot and we talk about the things we go through and, and it usually comes down to something like this but you know, it's going to be okay because the Lord is with us. And there's, oh, <laughs> wow, that's a novel idea that God is with me. And as a pastor, many times I say, Lord, Lord, you are my defense. You are my high tower, my shield. My tongue can't be. Every time I try to fix things with my tongue, it seems to get worse. Sometimes I just go to God and say, Lord, you are my shield. You have to protect your, your pastor if you want me here. <laughs> Amen. If not, discard me, whatever you want to do. But if you want me here, Lord, protect me. And he has done that over the years so many times. Put that shield in front of me, you know. He's so good. That, that brings joy, you know. It's not fun, you know, having arrows shot at you. Oh, joy, joy, joy. I like that arrow. Thank you. No, but you know, you're so grateful that there's a shield, <laughs> that no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. The Bible says that's the heritage of the servants of God. Oh, that makes me happy. I just got to make sure I'm a servant of God, that I'm just serving God with all my heart. And I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and it doesn't matter. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. They will not prosper, God says. Amen. That's joy for me. <laughs> but it's not fun being aimed at. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Amen. It's not, it's not like going to the laser tag, smiling and shooting. It's not what it's about. But the Bible says, No chasing for the present time seems to be a joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness, unto them which are exercised thereby. Peaceable fruit. God's always interested in peace. Amen. This whole thing is about peace. Peaceable fruit of righteousness. When we fail to heed the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we fall into God's hands. This is an amazing thing. This is a heavy thing for us. Um... When you can't hear spiritual language, 
he begins to speak your language. See, as long as I'm tuned and I got my ear tuned to spiritual things, he's like, I can still talk to you. <laughs> kind of with your kids. See, if, if I can talk to my kids and, and reason with them and talk to them, I don't have to go much further. That we just correct it. They say, I'm sorry, dad. And we just move forward and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. You don't have to do anything else. Why? <laughs> just to say that you're a good dad? <laughs> no. You deal with the kids. That's how you do it. Sometimes all you need is their ear. God wants your ear. He wants it through the word of God. He wants it through the preaching of the word of God. But if you stop listening, then he says, okay, now they turned off the spiritual ear. So now, how do I get through to these people? What he's going to do is he's going to look at what you're looking at. Sometimes your money is the reason why. He's okay. You don't want to hear me because of your money. So let me speak your language. So God starts messing with your money. Oh, got your attention yet? <laughs> he knows what's close to your heart. Amen. So he starts aiming at that. He speaks the language that you'll listen to. And sometimes that's all he can do is deal with those situations that he knows going to affect you and open up your eyes. Amen. But it's still there for your good. It's there to profit you. So I want to go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24. And this will be our last passage of scripture here. I just wanted to show this to you because this passage has many people a little bit confused about what it's applying to. Now, it's, it's applying to believers here. It's not about the lost. It's about children of God. It says in verse number 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. This is your responsibility, my responsibility, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So he wants us to be together as God's people. He wants us, as we're together, he wants us to exhort one another. That means he wants us to encourage each other. He wants us to be here. So when you come to church, you'll have somebody saying, hey, you know, just keep doing the right thing. Don't go off on that road there. Don't, don't go there. Come back this way. And we encourage them to do the right things. Amen. That's what happens when we get together, when we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So God has got a responsibility to his people to be in church, to be together, whether it's here or whether we have a Canada Day picnic or whatever we do, we have a men's breakfast, another opportunity to assemble ourselves and to encourage one another to move forward for God. Now I understand you got your shift on Saturday, you can't go, I'm not saying you're not right with God, you know, but I'm saying that those kind of things are very important to the things of God. In fact, it has a lot to do with your life. To consider one another, to provoke unto love and good works, it's a major part of your existence as a child of God in the church of God. Amen? You agree? So this is what it says next. Four, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, what that simply means is this, is that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient. 
He's not coming back to die again because you messed up. All right? What he did is sufficient. So he is sufficient to deal with all your past, all your present, and all your future problems. That's what he did when he sacrificed himself. He's not going to come again. That's why the Bible says if you think you can lose your salvation, folks, then I guess you'll probably be lost because you can never get it back. If you want to be renewed again unto repentance, you'd have to crucify him afresh and bring him to open shame. He'd have to come back and die again so you could get back into him at the death because obviously the first time that he paid wasn't sufficient to pay for your sins. What a shameful thing to say about Jesus, amen? (laughs) So there's no more sacrifice for sins, but then it goes on to say, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. So he's given us an illustration of Old Testament. Now, he's not talking about going to hell here. He's talking about within Israel, within their law-based system, that if you were guilty, they would have the right to kill you. And they did. That man that picked up sticks on the Sabbath day, Lord says, Moses said to God, what should I do? Lord says, kill him. Wow. Aren't you glad we don't have laws like that today? (laughs) Amen. But it was given as an illustration. He's saying, if you don't want to rely on what Christ did for you, this is all that's left. Do you understand that? If somehow Jesus isn't enough for you, then all that you have left to look forward to is a judgment and a condemnation on your life. So what we need to do as believers, say, you know what? I don't want to go there. I don't want to sin willfully. What I want to do is confess sin. I want to deal with sin. I want to, I want to operate within the mercy of God, not the judgment of God. Amen? Now it goes on to say here, so they died in the Old Testament because of the laws of Moses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye, now who's ye? Ye is the believers. Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. And this is what we we can take in this from the morning's Sunday school. And hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge who? His people. His people. Then a little, little ending phrase here is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He starts off by saying, let us consider one another. Let us provoke to love good works. But when you start taking an opposite approach to God's work, You begin to do things you know the Bible says not to do in the house of God. He says that's a willful sin. And if you operate in that realm, 
He says, then you're in my hands. You know what it gets me to do? The, the aspect of that being the potential of what could happen in my life, I seek daily as to what I need to do to keep my heart right. I come to the church and I purposely look at the people and say, Lord, I, I have to love these people. If you can come here and look down on somebody and be bitter and angry and whatever, there's no more sacrifice. There's nothing more God can do for you except deal with your willful sin. And you put yourselves in his hand. You see, we have an invitation to a high calling of God. And that involves our relationship together in the local assembly. It's a big part of it. You can't do it without it. People have tried. <laughs> you know, they say, I don't need the church. I got myself. God gave me a brain. Not a very good one. <laughs> Something happened to it after he gave it to you. Because if you think you can do this without the local church, you are, you are nuts. You are walking in opposition to the scripture. Because this passage right here is telling you how that you need it. This isn't just because I'm a pastor. Well, that's what pastors do. That email I got this week, the guy says to me, I realize why you put these door hangers on because you try to grow your revenue like any other business. In my email back, it says, I'd just like to answer that insinuation. <laughs> I said, if I wanted to make money, there are better ways. In fact, I told him, I said, I left a very successful, lucrative family business to do what I do. If I wanted money, I wouldn't have come here. <laughs> I didn't come here. Oh, that's where the money is, in Alberta. <laughs> Well, for most people, except for pastors, <laughs> amen. No, it's never been about the money. In fact, I didn't even know what God was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. Didn't have a clue. Just kind of, we had something saved up. Didn't know what it cost to live here, really. We thought we did, and then later on, we just laughed. <laughs> we had our budget. <laughs> we went to our, our missions agency. This is what we think it's going to cost. <laughs> like a year later, we're just... <laughs> Joke. This is a crazy place out here. My goodness, man. I don't know why it's like that. Maybe too much money, right? Too much money out here. Anyways, what I'm saying is this, is that God corrects us because he wants us to profit. If you are otherwise minded, God may just get involved and change your mind. And if you're not going to listen to the scripture, you're not going to listen to the preaching, you're not going to read your Bible, you're not going to seek the Lord, he's going to start speaking your language. Now, don't get bitter at God, because he told you that's what he was going to do. I'll tell you this, it's a whole lot better than the alternative if you wouldn't have got saved. Amen? Well, I just wish God would leave me alone. Then don't get saved. He'll just leave you alone and let you fall right into hell. But he saved us. He says, I didn't just save you so you can say, I got fire insurance. I saved you for the high calling. All of us. Not just the preachers, 
not just the missionaries. Sure, we got a high calling, but you do too. You know, I look at a Sunday school teacher as a high calling. I look at, well, becoming Christ-like as a high calling. <laughs> I look at being a member of a specific church as a high calling. I mean, God has you here. It's got to be a part of your calling. If it's not, you're going to treat it very glibly, very weakly, very, you're going to despise it. You won't cherish it and protect it. Amen. It's a part of your high calling. I mean, my goodness, man, everything on this side of hell is grace for you. Everything that you can be here this morning is grace. So that's why he's saying you do despite it to the grace of God. God made it that we can meet together and spend time in the word of God. We can hear it. And then somehow I don't want to hear it. He says, you're done despite into the grace of God. I gave that to you because you should have been in hell. Amen. Our God is good to us. And sure, he's going to take me every now and then and give me a good whooping. And I'm going to, yike, <laughs> you know, it's going to hurt. I'm going to look up to him, God, why do you do that? He says, maybe you won't know why right now, but you know it's good. He says, yes, Lord, I know it's good. You, you're profiting my life. You're profiting my family. It's good for my kids. It's good for my wife. It's good for me. <laughs> Don't get bitter at God. Like the Sunday school hour. Just receive the grace. Receive the grace. Amen. And he'll give you the grace to handle your chastisement. You say, right now, it just seems like we're in this pit. We can't get out. There's a way out. But it's not that way. It's not that way. It's not that way. It's not that way. It's that way. You can get out. Amen. But it may take you, it may take you to make some decisions. There may be some things in your life that he wants you to remove. There may be some things in your life he wants you to put in. See, he's chastising you because he wants you to profit. So change will happen. And if you're not willing to change, then God will continue to apply pressure to your situation until you break. Amen. 